welcome back to Female Found World. It's the host of the show, Jasmine here. Today I have one of the biggest supporters of the female founder and entrepreneurship community that I've ever met or connected with. Her name's Ali Wyatt and she is the creator alongside Rebecca Minkoff of Female Founder Collective. Before that, she also was a president at Girlboss. She's an investor and advisor and has so much great advice for anybody interested in business and entrepreneurship on today's show. Let's get into it. You are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Ali, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to kind of start with giving a little bit of context around your your history and your career. You've had such an impressive career in media and community building. Could you give folks a bit of an introduction into how all of this got started? Yeah, I think it was a, like most people, winding path that definitely was not linear. I had the great fortune of stumbling into the media industry. I thought that I wanted to be in fashion. I don't even think I've told you this before, but I thought I wanted to be in fashion. I actually went to go work at Liz Claiborne, which at the time was a, a conglomerate that had a host of other brands like Juicy Couture and what else did we have? Sigrid Olsen, a number of names that at that point in time, I feel like I'm dating myself, were like very big. <laughs> And it also was known for just really wonderful merchandise management. And so I was very excited to get a role there in merchandising. And I thought this was the start of my big grand fashion career. And after, you know, a, a year of sort of entering style numbers into a black and white screen, <laughs> actually, it, it was like a black background with like the green font. Like it, it was very almost like those hieroglyphics that you're entering oh, yeah. in, it's like code almost. I was like, this is definitely not for me. There wasn't an ounce of creativity or strategy. It was literally just math. And and while I love math, it didn't it didn't take sort of any creative input on on my part. So I was just sort of trying to figure out my career and and I was lucky to have had a couple internships. One of them was working in the law department for Time Inc. And I went to go speak to one of my bosses that I had, and he was kind enough to introduce me to the president of InStyle Magazine, which like at the time was the pinnacle. It was like, I can't believe I'm meeting this person. Like palms are sweating, you know, going down to get introduced to her. And I get introduced to her and she basically just asked me a ton of questions, which was such a surprise, mm -hmm. you know, sitting down with somebody of that caliber. Her name's Stephanie George. You can look her up. Incredible leader. I think she went on to actually be president of Time Inc. And she, so she asked me a lot of questions about me. And then she told me, you know, I think you would really like sales. And I was almost allergic to <laughs> the term sales. I was like, ooh, like that's for like, you know, people who don't have an education mm. or something. You know, I didn't want to be peddling things to people. It felt very cheap. Um, in my very young, very ignorant mind at the time. And, but anyway, so I thought this is somebody who I want to be like, and whenever you're sort of thinking about your career, I think it's good to find 
what could be coined as expanders or people that you can really look up to and say, I want to model my career like them. Maybe it's not identical, but that inspire you, you know, you might want their life. And, and so that's what I did with Stephanie. And I blindly decided to take this big step down in terms of salary. And I took a job as an assistant at InStyle Magazine, and that launched my media career. Um, and I was in print for a while and I wanted it to be more dynamic. And at the time digital was coming about, and I was so excited about this whole notion of digital media. And so jumped around to a few different places. The knot was this wonderful sort of introduction to a hybrid. And then I went on to L magazine and actually got to run their digital and grow that out. And, and that actually, when we ran out of inventory, led me to Refinery29, which was this little upstart in a basement and with wow. four founders and ultimately um, got to join them at sort of the founding team level and build that out and then went to Goop. And so it, it all sort of started to come together, but based off of this incredible career moment where I was on the total wrong trajectory for what I wanted and had a, an in, inspiring mentor figure sort of jump in and tell me what might be better. I love it when people can connect the dots retrospectively, because I do think, especially when you're in your creative person or you're in media, it can feel really like career paths can feel super nonlinear at the time. And you're just kind of like going with the next best thing that makes sense. But then when you look back, it kind of has all led you somewhere really intentionally. I yeah. love that through path. Yeah, definitely. So then how did you get started as in now you do angel investing, you advise other women-led businesses. How did that opportunity come about? Because that's quite different to, you know, working for big media companies or even startup media companies. Well, as you've probably seen, I feel like in media, what I loved so much about media is it was so dynamic. You were always at the cutting edge because you had to be, and you were mm -hmm. always learning about cutting edge company, cutting, cutting edge products. We were always being pitched at Refinery for new either consumer businesses or technology businesses that that supported the consumer sector, right? Supported retail. And so I was in the role of head of revenue at Refinery29, and it was my responsibility to come up with, okay, what are some other ways we can make money with this incredible audience that we have? And so I was, I had the great fortune of getting to meet with all of these different technology companies and I was really fixated on this notion of a universal shopping cart. Still wish we, we had that. Mm -hmm. Wait, someone, um, Carrot, Carrot, is it C-A-R-A-T? Someone just is doing something that the, it's like some kind of Chrome extension. I don't know. There's in been, that. Yeah, there's been all these companies that have, that have come around, but I think the world sort of built so that not all of them succeed because there's yeah. all these different payment providers, but I was really excited about this idea of finding a universal shopping cart provider. And if we could at Refinery, we were constantly supporting and promoting these brands from a lot of female founders, but people who were just very much on, very innovative when it came to coming out with things that solved new problems or that introduced new element of style. And so we wanted to be able to transact on that. And so I actually met this company. It was actually a male founder and he had my favorite universal shopping cart solution. We ended up not working with him at Refinery. And I was like, 
so devastated about that, <laughs> that I called him and I was like, I'm really impressed with you. I'm really impressed with your company. I would love to talk to you more about what you're thinking the future looks like. And, and so I actually sat down with him and I was like, can I invest in your company? And it was actually my first check and we wrote $75,000, which is not normal. I don't advise that whatsoever. We were very lucky to make that back. And he's an amazing founder who has gone on to create a new company, um, I believe in the crypto space, but it was, that's a big bet of, <laughs> I had no idea what I was Especially doing. Especially your first, uh, your first kind of little dipping your toe into angel investing, oh, right? A 70, <laughs> 75 grand check. You yes, must have really it liked was, it. <laughs> it. It was, I was like, you know, I'm, we're going to be rich off of this mm -hmm. and, but we luckily, you know, made our money back. We didn't make a lot of money, but it, he did exit. And in that process, I became almost addicted to it. I'm like, how can I support people? And then I was like, oh, this is easy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just make one bet and I make money back. That's not normal. I got, it was very much beginner's luck. Um, but I th do think that there were some principles that I understood at that point and that I think anybody can apply to an angel investing career. If you're in an industry and you have an expertise or domain, domain expertise of any sort, like Jasmine, if you're seeing, you know, 50 different beauty, new consumer beauty products per day, you're going to naturally be able to weed out mm -hmm. what are some of the most differentiated ones, why? What are the most impactful? If you're a beauty editor, what are the most efficacious ones? And so I think if you're in that unique position, I would start investing not 75,000 as your first check, unless you have, you know, a very large bank account, but I would, I would invest in that area. And that's where I would start off. Cause I did feel like I had a competitive advantage since I had seen so many and gotten the chance to sort of test them out. What other businesses have you invested in since that people might know who are, who are listening? So we invested in Hatch Collection, which is the maternity and actually beyond. They've done an incredible job expanding out and just building a really wonderful brand that people want to have as part of their lives for not only, um, maternity, but, but postpartum, I still wear all my stuff. I've also invested in Somersault, mm -hmm. which is swimwear, but now they've expanded much beyond that and it's become full lifestyle. I've invested in Hey Mama, which is a community for working moms, which was incredibly important for me. And they had actually launched right when I had my first kid. And so I was going through the, the biggest struggles that they were trying to solve for right then. I fund women because again, very much believe that we need other financial technology solutions for supporting female founded businesses. I've invested in, in gold, which is oh, yeah. an incredible adjustable beauty product. We've had her on the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So pretty wide ranging, a lot of consumer products and been getting more and more into femtech as well as looking at different solutions for maternity healthcare, future of work. I've always been very passionate about because I've, I've been in a satellite office for now, probably the past 10 years. And so I've never believed that we needed to necessarily be in an office all day, every day. Mm. 
then alas, we are here. <laughs> and and then obviously Web3 is becoming a bigger and bigger focus for me. Let's talk about that a little, a little bit more. You're probably seeing both through Female Founder Collective and also through intentional like angel networks, a lot of new businesses coming up. What else, yeah. what specifically is really interesting? So I think I'll, I'll mention a couple of things. One is actually not specifically consumer, but is with, within hormonal health. Mm. I think there's been very little attention paid to our hormones and the impact on our well-being. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but certainly as a mom, but also just through menstruation, I'll find I feel entirely different, much more tired, maybe much more ornery, or I feel like I constantly need to eat sweets or I'm bloated. I'm, you know, feeling like having these huge dips and, and peaks in terms of my mood. And so much of it ties back to hormones. And I don't think there's been enough research done on our hormonal health and being able to balance that. So I think there are interesting food companies out there, like Yasmin Nori created a company called Bia, which is, it actually helps you with your cycles to regulate them and sort of um, and counteract these sort of spikes in your hormones, which amazing. is, it's amazing to, to actually experience what it feels like to not have any impact to your, your typical well-being when when you eat a certain way. And so I, mm. I do think the impact of food and diet on hormones is really interesting. And then Avia by Agia Mother is a company that is very much focused around the research and data focused on hormones, specifically women's hormones. So I think that's super interesting. I think that you're seeing a lot more customization like on the beauty front. So whether it's on your skin type or it is on your skin color, or it's on your hair type, your hair color. What's fascinating thing in the beauty industry is that so much science is being, and customization is being baked into products. As far as go-to-market strategies, I'm really excited about some of the businesses that are coming out and, and doing things in a more focused way. So rolling out more hero products. And I, I think that that is a, a learning that I've seen across all of the businesses that I've invested in. And you, you'll you read about in business books too, but it's something that's very hard to do, which is focusing on core products, right? Becoming known that you have the best lip gloss mm -hmm. or you have the best hair growth product, or you have the absolute, you know, must have softest teeth. And then expanding in relevant categories from that. Like Somersault was all about inclusive sizing for swim. And then they're like, what are those ancillary categories that we can jump into that can just expand the cart size and, and increase our average order volume? And that includes things like, you know, your cover-ups, but also includes, you know, the stuff for travel. Right. And so they started picking up on what are the things that you typically put in your suitcase when you're you're going on a trip, because that's why most people were going out, obviously, and buying swimsuits. So I think it's really thinking about your consumer and their lifestyle and the behavior, but really zeroing in on what can we do the best 
And when I say the best, it's 10 times better than anything else that might be out there because that's been proven time and time again is that you need to be 10 times better for a consumer to switch. Huh, that is such good advice and kind of figuring out like what is your hero product and then expanding out from there. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. How do you think the fundraising landscape and actually generally like the entrepreneurial startup ecosystem has shifted since the pandemic? Do you feel like things are going back to normal? Is it a different kind of normal? Like what's happening out there? So I think in the beginning of the pandemic, it was really bad for women. It was everybody tightened their checkbooks and for funds that were allocating, they were just putting money aside, frankly, to help the the portfolio companies that they already had to ensure that they could get through for the next 24 months. And so you had a lot of people who were just going out to fundraise, you know, in March of 2020, and they're all of a sudden in a situation where they're just, they're calling everybody possible within that initial target list of investors. And everybody is saying, you know, we're, we're sorry, we're not investing right now, except for some, there were some funds that continued to invest. And it was more of a, I'm going to take this opportunity to really decrease the valuation and get a great deal for myself, which like that's business. And, and I don't blame them, frankly, for doing that. But I think it was really tough for women. What I think that you've seen, though, on the other side, as we start to sort of creep out of the pandemic, are that female founded businesses are the ones that are have weathered the storm the best because they were best prepared, mm. right? They're the ones that have the most cash reserves set up. They're more conservative about their financials. And so because they've been conservative, they were able to make very swift changes to ensure they were able to stay afloat. I also think that if you haven't taken in a ton of investment, then you're able to pivot to another strategy and you don't have your investors breathing down your neck and saying, that's so interesting. You know, I, that you're, this isn't what we discussed yeah. and this isn't what invested in. And so you have a lot more freedom in that respect. But I think women, you're going to see the proportion of female founded businesses coming out of the pandemic to be, I think you're going to see a big step change in the percentage of females that ultimately end up being funded. You also saw a lot of female investors start funds, you know, they're cropping up every day. And it's a really amazing thing because we need more females investing in order for females to get funded. That's such a great silver lining. It's so interesting looking at all of the different ways that pandemic the pandemic impacted women. You know, I think even across like marketing and advertising, the way that women were portrayed during 2020 and even like early 2021, it was actually like we regressed in terms of portrayals of women. It went back to those really stereotyped gender norms and roles in the way that brands were speaking. Like everyone just kind of went, oh shit, let's just do what we did for the last 20 years because like we're afraid to do anything risky. And so it's just interesting that like when that happens, that impacts women on so many different levels. Yeah, it was, and, and for women, it was survival mode, mm -hmm. right? So if, if you had kids then, and your husband was the breadwinner, which we know that women don't make the same as men, then you're in a position where you end up having to do the caretaking and sort of letting go of your own role. Yeah. If you have, Let but I think on the other side, a lot of 
females started businesses because they were forced out of jobs. Yes. And I think it's exciting. Like you never want to see women without jobs, but you're going to also see a huge uptick in women starting businesses because they were forced to. Yeah. You know what has been really interesting? Like as I've been interviewing founders, particularly consumer brand founders for the podcast and for our newsletter, there are so many that started during 2020 and they started on TikTok and the small business kind of ecosystem on TikTok is wild. And it is like pretty much centered on female founders that are driving that whole movement. And, you know, that's a double-edged sword because there's this expectation that women are the faces of their businesses, whereas I don't think men have the same expectation. But there's also like this opportunity that's happening in the shift to TikTok and yeah, the women-led businesses that I'm seeing that are like really profiting off that at the moment. Because you're like, why not? Mm-hmm. Totally, <laughs> why not? I want to shift gears and talk about Female Founder Collective and community building. I think it's so interesting and impressive, the network that you've built around yourself as a professional, but also the network that you've built within the collective. And I want to understand how you think about uh, community building and what's kind of worked throughout your career. So I feel like it's been, to be all fair, in all fairness, before starting Female Founder Collective, it was very, it was very organic. I think because I really loved hearing people's story and I found, I've particularly found female founders inspiring because you have to have a lot of grit, a lot of perseverance, and a lot of belief in yourself and what you're able to achieve to go out and do that. It's like, you just have so many odds against you. And I think you've seen, and having a business, it's just, it's really lonely. And every single day you're reminded of how hard it is. So I found those personality types to be incredibly inspiring. And so I would just sort of keep them in my orbit and always want to support them because of acknowledging sort of how hard it was. As far as my own network, I also have always loved talking with my friends about business and and deals. And so a lot of my best friendships have come from either colleagues, you know, like all of my colleagues from Refinery29 were like in my wedding. And then when you're in those types of businesses where you're all on this rocket ship, it's an extraordinary experience and you learn very quickly. And then those people end up going on and doing really big things. So I've had the fortune of, of getting to sit alongside these amazing professionals and then just have kept them in my orbit. And then in, in building, in contrast, in building Female Founder Collective, you we did have to be very intentional from the beginning. And I'll allude to this book later, but there is a book that I read that talked about the network effect and how important it is to be so specific in building a community in the beginning. And something at Refinery we saw is as it got bigger, it was hard because we started to feel like we were trying to be all things to all people. Mm. And I think with a community, the more specific you can be and the more niche you can be, the better. Because you'd rather have the person that's going to recommend you to 10 of their friends than than having people who aren't going to recommend you or maybe are just going to recommend you to one. You know, so you want to get the super fans in the beginning because they're you need to rely on them to grow your base, right? And to continue spreading the word because otherwise it's impossible to keep expanding it with just your team. You're only so many people. 
And so whether it is like, I think we could have even been more specific, but we chose to go down the lane of female founders. And I learned some of that from Girlboss. At Girlboss, we we were for women everywhere that, you know, wanted to control their future and, and predict their own success. The hard thing with that is that, that, you know, that might include somebody who's recently divorced, which this is true. Like this is a actually somebody that was within our community. And it might include somebody who's just out of college. Mm. Now, could those two people get value from each other? Sure. But that's not going to be who the number one person that somebody who's divorced is seeking out. Founders are, I think, a unique archetype because you don't have colleagues or coworkers. Yeah. You don't have anybody else you can call on and be like, hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out a CRM or I'm having a, this challenge with an employee and I've never managed before and I don't know how to do it. Or I'm trying to figure out where to recruit this really key employer, maybe even a partner for myself. So I think there's, you know, a, a thousand questions founders have a day and and every single day you're reminded that you don't have a higher up or a roadmap in front of you um, that already exists to to sort of play to. And so it's very important for you to have each other. So that was sort of the the idea behind it. And yes, we've had to be very intentional. In a really like tactical sense, what were some of the things that you were doing in the early days of Female Founder Collective to kind of bring that community together? So in the early days, we started off with a big event that we did called Female Founders Day. We just had our annual summit. Which I saw um, everywhere. It was all over. The only thing I saw on Instagram for like a week. <laughs> it looked amazing. Uh, that's good to hear. It's like you never know when you're when you're in it. Um, but it just, it was so, it was so wonderful. And, and our first one that we ever did was really wonderful. And so I was thinking it was, you know, having a lot of these in-person events and we would do other workshops, we would let community guide it, lead it. But yeah, we would, we were constantly getting together in person. And so when the pandemic hit, which was, you know, a, a year or so after we started, we were forced to shift that to digital and figure out how to keep that magic. And we had an accelerator and what we did was actually have a weekly class followed by weekly coffees to talk about what happened in that class, followed by a meeting or an AMA with an expert. And that really kind of created the model for ultimately rolling out our paid community, which is the 10th house, which is where we have the same types of programming happening throughout the week. And we now have community masterminds where it's entirely guided by you, right? So we're seeing, we'll, we'll see these recurring themes of questions people have, you know, about an ambassador program. How do I think about incentivizing ambassadors? You know, should they be paid? You know, do I pay micro influencers? What does that strategy look like? And you see these questions coming up and up and up. And so we actually have, we'll source people intentionally and deliberately and actually reach out to them to come but then simultaneously, we'll have other people come that have had all these questions. We'll say, you should come to this. We have these people who have had expertise in this topic, but you can all share sort of what you're doing, some of the things that have worked, that haven't worked, et cetera. Because I think it's that sort of combined knowledge that's going to be the most powerful thing. You're saying we when you talk about Female Founder Collective. What are some of the learnings that you've had as you've built multiple teams throughout your career? So clarity is so, so important. When you bring people on, you shouldn't bring somebody on until you have a proper job spec or scope in place. If it's a contractor, 
everybody needs to be aligned on what exactly success means for that individual so that when they come on board, I just said this to my team the other day, we were talking about priorities as a, as a team. And we talk about that weekly is we review, we adjust, we make sure that we're all aligned on what the priorities are. And something I said to them is I was like, I want you to come to me with your priorities based off of goals, high level mm. goals that I'm giving you. Here are the KPIs for the company. And then you're the ones who are sort of providing the roadmap on how best to get there. And I likened it to getting in an Uber and the Uber, and I'm sure everybody has been in the situation or Uber turns around and is like, how do I get there? You know, or like, what's the best route? Or like, should I take this route or this route? And I'm like, I, I, I'm taking an Uber because I don't know the roads as yeah. well as you do. So by all means, you please make the recommendation. And I believe in hiring people that know how to do things better than you, who are smarter than you who are going to take the business to the next level. I also never hire people that I don't believe can grow into being a much bigger role down the line because those that's your foundation and your building blocks. And then they're going to build their teams with mm. the same culture and the same sort of set of goals as you had in the very beginning. So those those first team members, really the people that are going to be your generals, the heads of your departments, are absolutely essential to ensuring that they're a cultural fit, but also they understand the broader wants and needs of the organization. Mm, that's such great advice. And Ali, the last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. You mentioned a book before. What is it that you think other founders who are just getting started should should be reading right now? So Peter Thiel, who is one of the founders of PayPal, wrote a book called Zero to One. I read it when I was at Girl Boss and we were thinking about intentional community building. And he talked about that it's better to have a small community that is hyper, hyper engaged and passionate than a much larger one that's like, you know, I like it, it's fine, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not super passionate about it. And we've even seen this with emails. We recently had to scrub our list and now our emails are, and I was like, so sad to see a big portion of our email list go, but now our emails are performing much better because guess what? You have the, the targeted few who are actually guiding your data and guiding your actions mm. as well. So zero to one really talks about this notion of community building, of network effect, of specificity, and really understanding your target consumer and zeroing in on that person and serving them with your business. Highly recommend it as a read for every founder who's starting out because I think community is, is going to be part of every single business that started today. And as we step into web three is going to become even more important. Yeah, absolutely. Ali, thank you so much for your time and for being so generous with all of your learnings and all of your insights. It's so great to have you on the show. It's an honor. Thank you, Jasmine.